The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. So, Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and are there all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. That ends the reading. Thank you, Katie. How about that? Um, yes, I've been looking at this Matthew 5 section all week. Um, I thought, you know, for sure I'd be able to, to do it justice this morning in just one week. No, no, but we'll try. Well, uh, I'll, I'll say this. We're, we're experiencing some changes, aren't we? Uh, this is our, our first week back in, in Clements Hall here. Uh, not only that, but as I've already pointed out, I'm, I'm uh, mixing up our seating arrangements, uh, <laughs> squishing you all together. This is uh, probably not the, the wisest thing to do among New Englanders, I, I've been told. Um, you know, we like our space. Um, and these sorts of things. Uh, we, we like things to be predictable even. I think that goes for, for all people. Uh, at some point this morning, uh, you will probably, if you're a part of our small group ministry, you will probably be approached by your community group leaders, um, just welcoming you into their community group, notifying you that, they're, that you're part of their group this year. And groups will inevitably look a little bit different this year than they did last year. This is typically how these things go. Uh, praise God. God's been bringing um, other families in among us that uh, inevitably kind of causes us to shuffle up the deck a little bit. And so those are some more changes, right? Not bad things. And now here we are. We're in our last week in the Psalms as well. Next week, we'll be jumping into Paul's epistle to the church in Galatia. Really looking forward to that. So changes are in the air. And this morning's sermon, uh, I think, is meant to act as a kind of transitional message to move us, to, to, to guide us from the Psalms uh, into the letter to the Galatians, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. But I'm hoping that it can do more than just that, actually. I've, I've been hoping and praying that it would do uh, a lot more than that, that it would do more to help us, even in the smallest of ways to navigate all kinds of changes in our lives because there are 
Many of them. There always are, right? Things in our lives are always in flux. There are many transitions that are almost always happening in our lives. Many unexpected shifts. Uh, Some of it's great, right? Some of it's not so great. And then there's a lot of stuff that happens somewhere in between that. But change, for sure, I assume we can all agree, is inevitable. And many of us, we don't like it. Whether you're from New England or not, right? Um, We try our best to control the variables in our lives to avoid it because we often don't like change because change, it it can be difficult. Um, it can be unpredictable. It is unpredictable. Keeps us on our toes. Change can be uncomfortable for us. Who wants that? Um, I don't. I don't. I, I try to avoid it every chance I get. And yet for those of us who are endeavoring to walk with God, these ironically, providentially, are the very things that encourage us and require us to trust him which is good, which is very good. To entrust ourselves, to entrust the circumstances of our our lives, all of the unknowns, all of the discomforts, all of the difficulties, all the unpredictable things, the inevitable changes to, as we talked about last week, to commit them to him, to roll them over, to unburden those things upon him. And by the way, if uh, you haven't caught on yet, this is is a, a continuation of last week's message. All right. Last week's message was called Trusting in the Lord. This week's message, if you're looking at your bulletin there, is entitled um, Trusting in the Lord Part 2. I'll say this. I do have an alternative title for this message. I like to do this sort of thing once in a while. Um, so uh, allow me to tack that on now if I could. Because you know, because sequels, you, you know this, sequels often have you know little nuanced titles. Right? It's not always just part one, part two. You think about something like Indiana Jones. Like I'm as a kid, I loved Indiana Jones movies. You had, you know, things like, I mean, this is just to name a few, right? There's a lot of them. You've got uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's a good, that's a good title, let alone a really good, really good movie. Um, you've got Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with Sean Con- Sean Connery. That's a good one. Has anyone uh, seen the most recent one? Did you know that there's there's one out, like in theaters, right, as we speak? Uh, it's It just came out. It's called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. God bless, uh, I almost said George Harrison. Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison Ford. He's 81 now. But anyhow, I mean, that's neither here nor there, is it? So, uh, but here's here's my alternative title to uh, Trusting in the Lord Part 2. How about this? Trusting in the Lord, kind of like Indiana Jones, living the long view life. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> living the long view life that does not have quite the same like punch as Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I'm, I'm no Steven Spielberg, right? Who can compete with that guy? But jokes aside, why that title? Why living the long view life? What does that actually have to do with trusting God. Well, here's one reason. I'll, I'll start with at least one. <clears throat> Last week, we list, looked at Psalm 37. We considered three views that come through in David's message, three ways of seeing, do you remember this? Seeing the world and seeing our lives within it. The first one was the long view, which in case um, you're wondering, like, what, what do I mean by that? Just hang in there. You'll, you'll get some of that soon enough. The second thing that we considered last week 
was the vertical view, our view of God. And then the third and last thing that we considered and that we spent the least amount of time on was the outside view. And that's the one that I would like for us to spend the majority of our time on this morning, spending our time thinking about what it means to have, um, you could say, uh, a posture. You could say an attitude, a response of trust, one that is, is identifiable, one that's visible, okay, evident in the world, an attitude of trust that is alive and is actively on display in the world. It isn't navel-gazing, it's outward-facing, okay? And so here's just a bit of a, a review on, on what that might look like. Uh, you may remember this as well. According to David, what does that kind of posture look like? It's not a posture of anger and envy. Rather than that, it's a posture of goodness and faithfulness, right? This is what we get in verse 3 of Psalm 37. David appeals to us. He says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And so, so what might that look like, I think, is the big question, because we didn't really get into the particulars of that last week. You know, this week, we're going to take a deeper dive into the practical side of trusting in the Lord actively. What does it look like? And to help us do that, I've got another surprise for us. You've probably already picked up on this by now, but even though this is our last week in the Psalms, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 5, so we're not really spending the majority of our time in the Psalms, even though it's our last week. But, you know, we're getting ready to make the jump. So this is good. Um, I'm just trying to keep things true to life, by the way, right? Like change, unpredictability, trying to remain un uh, unpredictable for you guys. But no, he here's why we want to do this. There are some very strong and direct ties to be found between Psalm 37 and Matthew chapter 5. In following this connection, as we follow it, it will help us to build on our understanding of the long view of what it means to trust God with a long view in sight. Matthew 5 is something of an instruction manual for living the long view life, okay? So here's how we're going to approach this, and more surprises for you. This is going to be, for me anyways, uh, this is going to be an unorthodox sort of a sermon. Normally, I'm, you know me, I'm coming to you with a three-point point outline. Instead, we're going to do something a little bit different. First thing we're going to do is we're going to jump into Psalm 37, and we're going to try to like re-establish this long view. Like, what are we talking about? And then we're going to take the leap into Matthew 5 and into what is commonly called the Beatitudes of Jesus. And once we're there, we're simply going to work our way through these Beatitudes. Now, it, um, I don't know that we're going to touch on every one of them for time's sake. Maybe we'll kind of like skip like a stone through them, but we're going to try to get to the heart of them more than anything else. Um, so again, we're going to jump into Psalm 37. We're going to try to reestablish this long view, and then we're going to get into the Beatitudes together. Does that sound like a good plan? All right. So here we go. Psalm 37 in the long view. By way of a review, David's audience here, his readers, they're looking out at the world. They're looking out at people. They're looking out at events. They're looking out at things that are happening. And they're looking, they're looking at their own lives in the world, and they're tempted. They're tempted to get angry. They're tempted to be envious 
of others. Wrongdoing, to steal a, a phrase from David here, is happening in the world. They're seeing unrighteousness. And they're seeing it thriving. It, it's, it seems to be flourishing. Things just aren't right. Things are, are twisted out of the shape that they're supposed to be in. Unrighteousness. And they're seeing the people who are doing these things thriving in the world. They're doing well. They're established. They have influence. They have, they're movers and shakers, maybe. Okay? I'm speculating a little bit. And so God's people are trying to live righteously and are tempted in that to be angry, to be envious. And David says to them, if you remember, this is wisdom literature, Psalm 37. David says to them, don't be foolish. Don't be short-sighted. Consider the long view with me. All right? And here's how he expresses this. He expresses it all through the psalm. But here's, here's one example, verses 1 and 2. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. In verse 8, just to give you another example, David writes, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In other words, if you only live in the world and see the world and others in your own lives within this present and temporal moment, of course you're going to get angry. If that's all, if that's all, if, if this is all you, you see, of course you're going to be envious. If this is, if this life, I mean, just think with me, but let's just, we'll, we'll reason together. If this life is all there is, if this taxing, unlucrative job that maybe you have is all there is, if this difficult relationship that you find yourself in, if that's all there is, if this discouraging health condition that you're nursing every day, if that's all there is, if these unfair, unjust, uneven conditions that surround you, that surround me, if this is all that we have got to look forward to, well, then I've got good reason to be upset, don't I? To be downcast, to be angry, to be envious, to be anxious. It's inevitable. But David is saying, no. That's a very dim and short view of God's world and your lives within it. There's more. You need a long view. You're not taking in the full picture. Your vantage point is limited. It's truncated. And he's also saying there's more. You may not be experiencing it right yet. You may only be experiencing it in part, not in full. But there's more. You may be experiencing unfairness. Injustice. But fairness and justice is coming. Things may all seem wrong, but one day they will be made right. It's as inevitable. This is what God's saying through David. It's, an, it's inevitable that it's coming. It's, ine, it's inevitable. It's as inevitable as the next sunrise. It's just a matter of time. And so you'll need to be patient. You will need to wait. You'll need to grow and develop a long view of the world and your lives within it. And the only way to do it is through trust. It's the doorway in. There's no other way. By entrusting your lives and your circumstances to him, taking him at his word, and hoping in his promises, and waiting for them to come full circle. 
And in the meantime, act as if it's true. That's where we're com- That's where we're going, right? This morning, acting as if it's true. Act these things out. Do good in light of this. Of light of this firm. Remember, we talked about this. This firm foundation that you now stand upon. Dwell in the world in ways that reflect Him. Do you feel friendless? Befriend faithfulness, David tells us. Let me read one more expression of this long view from Psalm 37, verses 10 and 11. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And then, like a time machine, this is what carries us from the Psalms into Matthew, from the life of David into the life of Jesus, from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, because this is the very thing that we hear Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 5, specifically verse 5. It's not exactly the same, which is interesting and instructional, but it's pretty close. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And his listeners would have known what he was doing here. They would have recognized this. They would have known, oh, he's, he's quoting from, from David there. And this was intentional on the part of Jesus. There's a strong connection to be made here. Strong correlation to be made between these two passages. They have more in common than we might think at first glance. But before we jump into Matthew's gospel, let me note just one more thing. This phrase about inheriting the land, which is the commonality between these two things, the, the greatest commonality, is used repeatedly in David's psalm. He uses it at least like four times and then directly, and then he says other things indirectly that is just a re-expression of it uh, many times over. And so what does he mean by this? Is he speaking of God's promise to Israel that they would one day inherit, in, inherit a, a land of their own, put down lasting roots, I mean, the land, right? I mean, this is where it's at. This is where you become a people. This is where you can put down roots and begin to flourish and build a life generation after generation. Is that what he's talking about? Maybe. But I think that there's a longer and better view, a better way of seeing this in addition to that. Notice how this phrase develops in Psalm 37 as it goes on. David starts to add something to this phrase, inherit the land. He, he adds in the word forever. Look at verse, verses 27 through 29, which you do have printed for you. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. You get what he's saying there? Take the long view. Take the long view on this. Know that things will, will not always be this way. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Something very big is in view here. There's something much bigger happening here. And here's the interesting thing. As we've already noted, this is the same mantra that Jesus takes up in Matthew chapter 5. And so let's jump in there now and see what we can learn. And what I would like to to do first is to, you know, as we come into Matthew 5, kind of get the lay of the land, um, get some context, see what's happening. And um, if you would turn to, I think it's page three, your time of reflection, you'll see at the bottom there, I included the last bit of Matthew chapter four, 
which um, sets up chapter five. So I'm going to read that. So just, you know, use your imaginations here. Try to imagine what's going on in, 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 as Jesus is about to speak. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Turn page, chapter 5. And so, you know, this is our setting. This is our setup Jesus has come into the world. He's beginning his, his earthly ministry. We learn that he's primarily concerned with doing what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Getting the word out about the coming kingdom of God. In other words, God's rule, God's kingship, God's righteousness, God's rightness, his fairness, his justice, all these things that we've been talking about from Psalm 37 is coming into the world. Okay? And for those who are inspired to listen and to learn from Jesus, this is good news. This is what, this is what he's saying. You know, I'm, that's what gospel means. It means good news. Don't fret. Don't be envious. Don't despair. Don't be anxious. I've got good news. Listen. Learn from me. In, in this sermon that Jesus is about to preach, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, this is essentially his opening speech. I, get, I think that's a good way for us to think about it. And... Who is his audience? We just looked at this. Who is his audience? His audience primarily consists of those who are not so prominent, okay, within their surrounding culture. They are those who just might feel as though their existence involves the kinds of things that we've been talking about, unevenness, unfairness, injustice. In the Roman society that they existed in, these folks that we read about at the end of chapter four. These are not the people who are being prioritized. The people listed in this passage at the end of Matthew four would have been, you might say, the unseen, the unheard, the uncared for. And for some reason, and we should wonder why, they're flocking to Jesus in great numbers. They're surrounding him. And his sermon begins with these Beatitudes. And so now let's have a look at these and see what we find here. Verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And we should just have a quick time out here just to point out that um, at this time, he didn't have his, his 12 that we know about. Um, when Matthew mentions disciples here, he likely means all of these people that, were that, that are gathered to hear him speak right here. Because what's a disciple after all? It's a learner, a follower. That's what a disciple is. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So hit and pause one more time, asking a very important question of this passage. What does Jesus mean when he says blessed? What's he, what is he talking about? Um, this is kind of a loaded term, so I think it's worth slowing down with. And there's a few ways that we could describe this. It carries the idea of, of happy. You could say happy are those. 
it carries the idea of favored. Favored are those who. Um, but one way that, of describing this that I that, that I found very helpful, just in the way that I'm, I'm thinking about it as I go through it, uh, is that this implies someone who is flourishing. Someone who's flourishing. All right. Why are they flourishing? What's got them so happy? And it's because they have God's favor. I mean, you see how these things tie together. Well, in what way do they have God's favor? Is it that he's providing them with all sorts of wonderful things, all sorts of wonderful experiences? Well, not if we're reading <laughs> what's being said here. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I guess it depends on your view, your vantage point, the way that you're seeing things. Uh, because if being poor in spirit and in, in mourning, crying, and, and being persecuted, if you see those as wonderful experiences that he's providing for them, then the answer is yes. But the main cause, I think, of their flourishing, the main co like component of their favor is what? And it's that they know God. He delights in them. They delight in him. There, there's rightness. There's, there's goodness. There's favor between them and between, between them and him. They, they are citizens you might say, of his coming kingdom. If this applies to the ones that he's speaking to, okay? This is why they're blessed. And then Jesus goes on to describe what I would call the characteristics of a citizen of this kingdom. And I just, I need to just say something about this. So, I mean, all summer we've been talking about exercising the muscles of faith. Um, we've been, you know, talking about like, these are good spiritual disciplines. These are disciplines of grace. These are good spiritual practices. And um, I think a good way to think about what Jesus is talking about here is people who, are, who, who have, have been developed by God in some way. In other words, we can't just like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, get out there and start doing these things as though this is like a list of like, you know, moral do's and don'ts to practice. Should we practice them? Should we practice these things that Jesus is talking about? Absolutely. But as long as we have this understanding that like we need him, he's the one who's come to us. We need him as his disciples to nurture us and to develop us, to, to give us this posture so that we can actually have muscles to exercise in the first place. Okay. So that being said, What's the first thing that we've got here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. And again, this doesn't sound super appealing, right? This doesn't sound like a huge positive. As one writer put it, according to Jesus, the greatest blessings aren't found where we normally look, but in places we aren't inclined to explore. It's kind of a nice way of putting it, I think. That Jesus' concept of, of blessing is, sounds kind of peculiar. Sounds a little bit upside down. I think this is why they call this the upside down kingdom. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And how most understand this is to say that this crowd is a good clue, right? These, this, this, these people who are surrounding Jesus that we just read about, they, they provide a good depiction of what it might mean to be poor in spirit. Those following Jesus here are not confused about their needs, right? They're not in denial about their weaknesses, they're not bashful about coming to him in order to experience his healing touch and his provisions. They're coming to him freely for these things. They're lining up. And Jesus is coming to them with good news and saying, it isn't those who are, it isn't those who are poor in spirit. I'm sorry. It is those. It isn't those who are, 
rich, strong, like I've got this all sorted out. It's, it's those who are poor in spirit who are in the best position to receive and to flourish in their connection to me because their eyes are open to their need. This is what we need God to nurture in us. They see their own spiritual poverty, Jesus is telling us, and they come to me looking to receive from me and I will surely provide for them all that they need and they will flourish in that in, in, the, in that, that way they will be blessed. Okay, I have come for the health. I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. We've read this in other places. The strong and the fully provided for have no need of me, but the, the poor in spirit, they do. And so they come to me and I bless them. Some have argued that um, the Beatitudes intentionally move along in a chronological order. In other words, like one paves the way for the next. This, this, this may be true. I, I, I have not spent enough time studying this to, to, to like really sign the dotted line on that. But the one thing that I, I do feel confident in saying is that this first one must come first. This first one must be there before the others. Like those in the crowd, this is an identifying feature of kingdom disciples. To have a long view begins with us seeing ourselves accurately, accurately seeing our need, accurately seeing our weakness, accurately seeing Jesus is the one who has come to provide for our every need. This changes the way that we see things when we, when we start there. It changes the way that we see the world. It, it changes the way that we see others. It changes the way that we see those who maybe make us angry and frustrated in the world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's he, who is he talking about? Why are people who are crying blessed? I think it comes back to what I was saying just a moment ago. They somehow identify their own sin, and it breaks their hearts. Have you ever had this experience where you just, oh, not so much that you're frustrated with your own foolishness in your sin, but that you're frustrated with the way that you've made the good salvation of Jesus look foolish in your sin. Just like, again, oh. Have you ever wept over your sin? Have you ever wept over the, just the brokenness of the world? I think that this is the, the posture that these citizens have, that they're looking out, they're seeing all of this injustice and unevenness, and they're just like, man, I just want to cry. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Longview. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? It speaks of those who are gentle. It speaks of power, being restrained. It, I, I've heard some people say that it suggests that it speaks of the unimportant, like these people who are gathered around him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Humility, a posture of humility towards him. This is, I mean, this is just so in keeping and harmonious with this idea of trusting. Just, it takes humility to say, God, oh, I can't. Ugh, you, please. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They're looking out. They're seeing the brokenness within themselves and in the world, and they're hungering 
for it to come, to be realized. They're thirsting for it to come. I mean, think about hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst is something that just happens to you. It's not something that you muster up. If you, if you go, just try it out. Skip lunch and dinner for the next couple of days. It'll happen. God is developing this. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Everything sounds backwards. You're satisfied when you eat, but these people are not getting it. You realize that, right? They're waiting for it. They're looking for it. They're eagerly expecting it to come. They're patiently trusting in the Lord until it comes. He says, you will be satisfied one day. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the time in which Jesus was saying this, this was not a popular notion, this idea of like not giving people their, their due for their wrongdoing. I mean, this is what mercy means, to not, to not receive what you do deserve when you've done something terribly wrong. And these citizens, they're marked by this. This is a mark of them that they go about and as they engage with those, maybe those who enrage them even, they're merciful. Blessed are those are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Long view. Like I, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to adopt this. I'm going to exercise these muscles. I'm going to adopt this posture because this is where this thing is going. This is the inevitability. This is the trajectory. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What can purify our hearts? You guys know the song. Is that, is that how it goes? What can purify my heart? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is that how the song goes? Am I singing it wrong? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Okay. Just, I'm just checking to make sure you got, you know. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is standing, like, the, the, in case this sounds like, oh, this is, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'll be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is somebody who is standing between two people who are animately opposed to one another, and they're not siding with either party. That's not a popular stance. Like, I, I, I you know, I'm not going to just completely agree with you, and I'm not going to completely agree with you. I'm going to stand in between. I'm going to try to bring about peace between you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. What else? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes. I mean, this really just kind of takes it to the limit here. Like, what? So you're Jesus, you're, you're suggesting this is a good thing. I should be happy about this? I should consider myself favored by God? Like, this is, this is a condition for me to flourish within? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, he says, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now do you see what I, I meant when I said, like, we need God to develop this in us? Like, who can do this? Who can adopt this posture? Who can flex this kind of a muscle? It must be God within us. Um, in closing, and again, 
I said, we're just skimming through this. There, at some point in the future, I would love to do a series on the Beatitudes. I could imagine just spending a summer in it or doing it as an Advent series or something like that. That would be wonderful um, to, to do it real justice. But what's at the heart of this? Like, like what is it that can inspire us and cause us to begin to develop this attitude and this posture that he is encouraging and it's him. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he never asks us to do anything that he himself doesn't do. What do I mean, just let's just take this last one, this most difficult one. What do we read about Jesus in 1 Peter? We're told that he's our example. And it tells us that Jesus, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. When, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to do what? He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly, who, to him who judges righteously. What do we learn about Jesus from Isaiah in Isaiah 53? He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He sounds kind of like these people who were gathered around him, right? He was having an uneven experience. An unjust experience, an unfair experience. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was sorrowful. He was a weeper. He cried. He looked out at the world. We can read about it. He looked out and he just wept at what he saw. It broke his heart. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and was, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement was this chastisement that brought us peace that empowered us to become peacemakers, that empowered us to somehow move through all of the hard, broken things, the reviling, his peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so my last thought is, when we come into uh, Galatians, and, and I'm going to be talking about this a little bit after our break here in a moment, as we come in, into Galatians, Man, there's just like, you, you would be hard-pressed to find um, an article within the New Testament that does such a unique job of basically breaking open this gospel of this kingdom that we've been talking about this morning and just helping us to see all of the implications, all of the riches that are ours and, and that, that we can experience now. This is, a king, this is the, the already not yet kingdom, right? That we can experience now in part and experience in full later. And it'll give us this incredible long view that will allow us to persevere and endure as we move forward. So with that in mind, let me pray and we, we will take that break. Father, thank you so much for your multifaceted wisdom, your multifaceted word, all the, 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 the different ways that it speaks to us, the personalities that communicate to us through David, 
and especially through the life of Jesus. God, we pray that, we pray that you would just begin, that you would just begin to massage into our hearts and our minds what is being communicated to us by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount here through the Beatitudes. That we would just begin to get a glimpse. That our view would lengthen just, just a fraction. Would you, would you provide that for us, we pray. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.